Well, good morning to you all. So glad to see you this morning. So glad you're here. And um, this morning is the morning we start a brand new series on the life of Joseph. I was told last week by somebody, I announced last week that we were going to be in the book of Joseph. So if you spent this last week trying to find the book of Joseph in your Bible, I apologize it's not there. But we will be going through the life of Joseph, which is in a book of the Bible, and that's the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible with you, You can find your way to the book of Genesis, and you can find your way to chapter 37, chapter 37. The title of this series is God's Purposes, or the Purposes of God in the Land of Affliction, and it kind of plays off of uh, what Joseph would eventually name one of his children, Ephraim, uh, where he says, he names him Ephraim because he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so we're going to kind of look at Joseph's life with the whole theme throughout the the study, the purposes of God in the land of affliction. It's my joy to be able to open up this series uh, this morning. Next week, we'll be, as I mentioned last week, we'll be out of town. Uh, I'm officiating a wedding for a family member in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Brandon Howard will be assuming the preaching responsibilities for next week. Uh, And so we're in chapter 37. And we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 11 as we kind of kick off the the life of Joseph. Chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Another way to say that is, here's the family story of Jacob. That's what's going on. Here's, Here's Jacob's family story of his family. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Those are the two uh, maids of his two other wives uh, that gave birth to four of the children that Jacob had. We'll talk more on that here in a minute. In Joseph, uh, the end of verse 2, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, there's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not even speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you, in, are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and, the 11, star, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is, this that, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. And so begins the life, story at least, not the life, but the story of Joseph I want to start with this question to you. What is your final, eternal destination? God has told us in the Bible that there are two options, one being hell as your final, eternal destination, the other being heaven. 
And God has also told us in his word that we can know for sure which one we're going to take part in. Whoever believes in the character and works of the Lord Jesus is not condemned to hell, but whoever does not believe, as John chapter 3 says, is condemned already. And if you're in here and you know for certain that your eternal destination is indeed heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus, then let me ask you this question. If you've surrendered by faith in Christ your eternal destiny into the hands of God, will you not also surrender your earthly life to him as well? What I mean is this, and this will be the point really of the life of Joseph, but especially this morning. What I mean is because God has secured our eternal destiny, we should trust him on the journey. That's really the theme of the life of Joseph. He knew where he was heading, and we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. And he was willing to trust the Lord on the journey. Joseph would need the ultimate purposes of God to get him through the land of affliction. Let's get some context to this story. Because if you didn't realize, we're just dropping into chapter 37. So there's 36 other chapters that happened before this. And, and there's some key things that happened. We're not going to review all 36 chapters. But, but certainly we need to understand kind of what happened prior to help us make sense of the life of Joseph. And there's two main passages I want to put on the screen for you that are help us understand what's going on in this story. The first one is from Genesis chapter 12 and a promise that God made to Abraham. It's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Here's what the Lord says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Go out from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. It's the land of Canaan. And And he says, I will make you a great nation. So this one man... God is going to use to make a great nation, okay? He's given him these promises. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse and in, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a very huge promise God is making to Abraham. At the very least of which he says, this one man Abraham is gonna be the father of a great nation of hundreds of thousands, of millions of people. And so that kind of that leads into, and so this same promise, by the way, was passed down to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then was passed down to Isaac's son, Jacob, who is the father of Joseph. So Joseph finds himself in this family line of God's promises. Well, there's another verse that we need to, another passage we need to keep in mind, and it's a key one for the story of Joseph, and it's found in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16. Now, here's, here's another thing the Lord told to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and they shall come back here to that land of promise in the fourth generation, for the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And as we learn in the story of Joseph, the nation that God is talking about here, where he says, you're going to go be sojourners in the land that isn't yours, and they're going to afflict you and make you servants, we know from the story of Joseph that that land is the land of Egypt. And Joseph is going to be the link to fulfilling fulfilling the two promises we just read about, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. Because God is going to use Joseph to get them to the land of Egypt, And then he was going to do great things there to bring them back to the land so that they can possess the land that God had promised them. 
It was going to be in Egypt that the promise of, to Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation. It was in Egypt that God would fulfill that promise. So with those things in mind, let's look at the story of Joseph. Now most families, as I mentioned at the beginning, when it says these are the generations of Jacob, another way to say that is this is kind of the family story. Most families aren't too quick to pass on family failures to the next generation. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I've really heard anything bad about my ancestors. You know, anything that follows down through the ancestor line is mostly, <clears throat> excuse me, is mostly good things. It's normally about the great things they did or the esteemed positions they held or whatever it might be. But God in the Bible doesn't play by those rules. We see the good, we see the bad, and the ugly. And with the story of Joseph, I mean, I mean, yeah. Look at, the, I mean, this, here's the story of Jacob, or the story of the generations of Jacob. And right off the bat, it's hatred and jealousy and favoritism. So as I hear, let me tell you the story of the guy who's supposed to be an heir to the promise of this land and all these great blessings. Let me tell you his story. And you might expect God to say he was a great godly guy. He really followed me. He, he trusted me no matter what he was doing. He raised his kids right. He had a great family. Not it at all. Right off the bat, it's hatred, family turmoil. And that highlights the beginning of the story. But God isn't just giving us a story of a family just for the sake of giving us a story. What God is doing in all the narratives of the Bible and what God is doing in, in the life of Joseph is God is giving us his story about his acts of redemption. God is the hero in this story. It's not Joseph. It's not any of the brothers. It's not Jacob. God is giving us his story, revealing his redemptive acts, showing us how he loves, how he cares, how he guides and directs. And ultimately, Joseph is not just a story, the story of Joseph is not just a story that takes place on its own, but it finds its ultimate climactic fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the life, death, and resurrection. And we'll connect that as well. But this morning, as we intro the series, as we get into the series, I want to give you, I want to look at three keys that unlock the beginning of Joseph's story. Three keys that unlock the beginning of Joseph's story. Number one, we have a family in turmoil. We see that in the first four verses. So let's start with Jacob, or Israel. Let's start with dad. Now, this family in turmoil... And, and as we read, I mean, we learn in this point, verse 1, that, that Jacob has settled somewhere in Canaan. Remember, Canaan is the land of promise that God, God's given to the people, or promised to give to the people. Verse 14 uh, implies that they were somewhere in Hebron, which they're probably in the middle of the land right now. But right now, the family, they don't possess it as their own land. They're simply sojourning there. So God promised that they're actually going to occupy this land, and it's going to be their land. It's going to be their place to have fellowship with God. It was going to be their own possession, but right now they're just sojourners. And we have Jacob here with his family, with his 12 sons. And Jacob, from what we can see right off the bat here, is that he created a family atmosphere that is prone to all sorts of spiritual dangers and attacks, and failures. And the way he created a family atmosphere so prone to spiritual attacks and failures was by showing favoritism. Joseph had 12 sons between four different women, which is a whole other aspect to this family in turmoil. 
But those 12 sons came from uh, four different women, but, but, but two of those sons were born to the, light, the wife he loved the most, that being Rachel. And so Jacob, and this was before she, uh, before she died, obviously she, she had passed away by this point, but Jacob and Rachel, the wife he loved the most, had two sons together. One was Joseph, and one was Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. These were the two youngest boys of all the 12 brothers. Now God's ideal for a family is harmony, where love for God and love for others is both taught and demonstrated. Jacob was the spiritual leader of the family, but instead of fostering a family of love for God and love for others, instead of, instead of creating an atmosphere where love for God was displayed as well as love for others, Jacob actually fostered an environment in which envy, bitterness, and hatred could grow. And again, this happened through favoritism. And one sign of his favoritism towards Joseph, and this is probably something everybody knows about the life of Joseph, is he had the coat of many colors, the multicolored coat. Which, by the way, from what we know of, 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 of the history in that time, this coat most likely would have been clearly symbolic as, like, this was a royal, this, like, this, he's the king. And you can make connections to what will eventually happen in his life, but I don't think Jacob really had that in mind. Right now, he's giving this, basically, he's, he's identifying this son, Joseph, very clearly among all the other brothers that he is the favorite. And Jacob wanted to make it known, and by giving this code, that's why I think Moses puts this in here, is that there was no doubt on anybody's mind, Joseph was the favorite. And the problem isn't that he loved Joseph. Of course not. It's that what the Bible tells us. He loved Joseph more than he loved Joseph's brothers. But there's also another problem. Not just that he loved Joseph more. It's also that Jacob failed to learn from his own upbringing. If you know anything about the, the, the history of Jacob, if you remember, he also had a brother, uh, just one, uh, he had a brother named Esau. And growing up, Jacob's mother loved him more than his brother Esau, and Jacob's father loved Esau more than he loved him. Jacob grew up in a family of favoritism, and this led to to division and to hurt and even a murder plot. And Jacob grew up in that same household. He saw how much of a train wreck it was, yet here he is, the same sins of his father and his mother. We find Jacob doing the same thing. And parents, listen, it'd be easy to say, don't be like Jacob. But the problem is, we are like Jacob. We are all products of our parents' influence, whether good or bad. We often try to convince ourselves that we're not going to turn out like our parents. But what happens? We turn out like our parents. We carry a lot of the same personality, the same mannerisms, the same sins even that we saw in them. We now implement in our own life. There's a, a mentor of mine who uh, 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 he, he often describes that his, his, his wife and him are, are, are different and his wife is a lot like her mother and he's a lot like his. And he says a lot of times when they're in, they're in arguments or they're kind of going back and forth, he said they'll, he'll stop and they'll, and they'll stop and they'll kind of chuckle at each other and then they'll say, our mothers are fighting again. That's kind of what happens, isn't it? But here's the thing. In Christ, our identity is not just a product 
of our parents. We're not just some product of our upbringing. If we are children of God, our identity is the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, even, yes, ever imperfectly, we can show our families the traits of our heavenly father. Even though some of those traits of our earthly father, our earthly mother, stick with us and show, you know, rears its ugly head in a lot of ugly ways as we sin our way through parenting, yet with our identity in Christ, we now can show our kids, our families, the traits of a heavenly father, a God who shows no impartiality, a God who shows no favoritism. Favoritism is hard. It's something we all struggle with because we have kids that are agreeable and easy and we have kids that are more difficult. Yet the arrogance that we can produce in the favorite child and the scars and resentment we cultivate in the not favorite child leads to hurt and heartache. We have to be careful what message we send to our children. Yet even still, this isn't a story about parenting, is it? What this is, is this is a story of God. Remember, he's the hero. This is a story of God redeeming the sin of a family in turmoil and working it out for their good and his glory. Now, Joseph, we aren't told very much about. Let's move on to him, Jacob. When we talk about this family, we have Jacob and then you have Joseph. We don't have very much on him, but most likely it can be assumed that that natural arrogance and entitlement that would spring up from being the kid who's the favorite probably didn't escape Joseph. He probably enjoyed basking in the radiance of being the favorite child. He probably had his own sense of self-worth and and self-importance, and certainly it probably crept in his heart. We are told he brought a bad report about his brothers. Now, this this very well could have been a, you know, if you do this, I'm going to tell on you sort of thing, or I'm telling on you, because he knew, right, as the favored child, that whatever he told mom and dad, or dad at this point, you know, dad was going to, to, you know, believe it no matter what, and, and, you know, even turn more against his brothers. So Joseph very well could have been using that to his own to his own benefit. Perhaps even he spoke of their sin without any sense of his own wrongdoing. And I think that's something that can happen in the life of a favorite child. They begin to look at other people's sins and we, we even have the tendency with even if we're not the favorite child, right? We we look we have the tendency to look at other people's sin without any sense of our own sin. John Lennox says, uh, when he comments on this passage, he says, it's easy to fail to recognize that we ourselves are sinners and speak of sin in such a superior, moralizing way that we simply antagonize people. And so we can see how Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph mixed with some sort of self-importance being realized by Joseph would create such a bitter and angry atmosphere. Joseph was living the dream life, which is the title of the message, Living the Dream. And Joseph was living the dream life. Favorite child, got nice clothes, a ham, you know, a dad-made gift. Yet things outside of his control and outside his blame were about to get a lot worse. And living the dream was going to take on a whole new meaning for him. The brothers, we only learn that they are filled with hate. And then they're filled with a little bit more hate. And then their hate runs even a little bit more runs even deeper by the end of this passage. Their feelings of resentment sink deeper and deeper as their jealousy towards Joseph grows. And those 10 older brothers, and I don't think Benjamin is is included in this, but those 10 older brothers, remember Joseph and Benjamin being the youngest two, both sons of the favorite wife, or the wife most loved, 
These ten older brothers would be the reason this story goes from a dream, a, living, a life living the dream, to a total nightmare. And as we move on in the story, suffice it to say that God reveals our hearts in the furnace of relationships. So we've got to be ready to confess, repent, rest in our acceptance before Christ, rest in our Heavenly Father who guides all things. So that's one part of this story. Let's move on to the next, second part of the story. And we'll spend just a brief time on this before we draw out some principles. To make sense of Joseph's story, number one, you need to understand that there's a family in turmoil. And number two, there's a future in place. And that's verses 5 to 11 where we get to the dreams, where God is going to establish the, the future for Joseph. So let's look at these, let's talk about these two dreams. We already read it, and you're probably familiar with it. But at the outset, we need to understand that God will often crush our dreams, or even crush our dream life, to fulfill his purposes. we got to trust his plans over ours. And God is about to do something real big with these dreams. Now, before we move on explaining the actual dreams, just two notes here. First, we understand that God often did use dreams. Or not often. We, we, get, we get a few times in scripture where God would use a dream to communicate to an individual. And uh, in Job chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, even says, you know, God speaks to mankind in one way even too, in dreams of a night. And so, remember, the, the, the Bible was not written by this point, so they didn't have the revelation of God. And so God would reveal, many uh, at times, God would reveal his plan, his purposes, or his instructions through dreams. And even before we get to Joseph's dreams, it's especially important to note that his father... Jacob had two dreams of his own. One dream, if you remember, was the, the, the ladder with the angels. And one dream was to affirm that God was going to fulfill his promises. And the other dream was when he was working for his father-in-law, God spoke to him in a dream and actually told him to leave his father-in-law. So keep that in mind as we go to these two dreams. Both of these dreams for Joseph are prophetic in nature. Okay? They're describing what the future holds for Joseph. So in the first dream, you have this, uh, this, this uh, agricultural sort of theme, which is what the circumstances of its fulfillment will revolve around in just a few chapters we get to the end of the story. But in this dream, Joseph is out in the field, and he's, he's binding his sheaves, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his dream, his sheaf uh, stands up. And in the story, his brother's sheaves all stand up as well, and then they come over and they bow to the ground, to Joseph's sheaf. And we will see an exact fulfillment of that later on. Joseph would have a greater harvest than his brothers, a more superior harvest than his brothers that are going to cause his brothers to come to him. But ultimately, even though I'm sure he didn't, Joseph didn't know the exact, fulfill, you know, how this was all going to play out, his brothers certainly didn't. But one thing's for sure. His brothers knew that by Joseph explaining this dream, that there, there is one thing for sure that this dream was supposedly communicating, and that was his brothers would come and bow down to Joseph. Listen, there's not a world that exists where at least 10 of these brothers are going to come and willingly bow down to Joseph, who they hate with a hatred that is deeper than most hatreds. So there's just no way this is going to happen. And so then he has another dream, right? And it's about the sun, moon, and 11 stars. Now, I take this to mean, just like, you know, the sun, moon, and 11 stars, they're really far away. 
And they had to come to Joseph. I think this is picturing the fact that, that this, his mother, his father, and his brothers are going to have to come from a far way away from the land of Canaan all the way to Egypt in order to bow down to him. And actually, we see this play out because in the first time all the brothers go, they bow down to him without his other family. And then the second dream, the whole family comes and bows down to him. So Joseph shares this, this second dream about sun, moon, 11 stars. And, and this time, his father, kind of like a turn of events here. I mean, the favorite child is actually getting rebuked. And he rebukes him. He says, how dare you even insinuate that we're going to come, at your mother, me, everybody's just going to come and bow down to you? I mean, it's almost like Jacob's saying, like, it's so, like I know I've made you arrogant, but let's not, get, let's not get too carried away here with the arrogance. But Joseph, I believe, knew that these dreams were communicating God's ultimate plan for his life. Now, we can make the argument, did Joseph, you know, was the tone of voice, kind of like I read it, did, you know, was, did he kind of read it as like an arrogant teenage punk, you know, when he, when he kind of revealed, hey, hey, let me tell you this dream, and he kind of did it in a way that was real snarky, and, you know, did it with kind of the, the mood of a, of a teenage favorite. And we don't really know, but we, we know this. Regardless of the motive, Joseph sharing these dreams, is, it's, gonna, it's what's going to set up the rest of the story. And the passage uh, Brandon's going to touch on next week, if, if you remember when, when Joseph goes out to find his brothers, and his brothers see him coming from a distance, you remember what they called him? He said, here comes that dreamer. Let's show him that these dreams won't come true. Little did they know, they are the exact vehicle through which God would make those dreams come through, come true. Ultimately, I think it's worth noting at the end of verse 11 that Jacob kept, these, kept the matter in mind. I think Jacob realized, you know, I had a couple dreams as well when God showed me some things. Maybe, maybe, God, maybe God does have something in store for my son. But no one could have imagined how this would all get fulfilled. Nobody could have imagined how this all gets fulfilled. How this would all end up. How this would all come true. If it indeed was true, which I don't think his brothers thought it was. With these dreams, going back to what I said, I think Joseph knew that these dreams were communicating God's ultimate plan for his life. With these dreams of future exaltation, of future glorification, Joseph had no idea his brothers or what his brothers are about to do to him. He had no idea that although he now has the purposes of God, he was about to enter the land of affliction. Which brings me to the last point that we need to understand. Because not only do we have a family in turmoil, not only do we have a future in place, but we have a God who is in control. And this, that's chapters 37 through 50, which are, which are all the chapters we're going to look at. And here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning. Is we need the purposes of God to get us through the land of affliction. Now, this land of affliction can be some personal affliction you're going through right now, personal suffering, or we can even just think of this world in which we live as the land of affliction. After all, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Joseph was living the dream in a lot of ways. And it's not even really his fault, right? He was handed the dream life. 
He was handed the dream life through favoritism, the favoritism of his father. But God had a bigger vision for Joseph than simply being the favored son of Jacob. God was going to put Joseph through the furnace of affliction, bring him lower than he ever thought he would go, and exalt him in ways far greater than he ever could have been exalted being the favored son. There's going to be lots of twists and turns as we walk through Joseph's story. And you're already probably familiar with a lot of them. But everything is heading towards God's intended purpose. Everything is heading towards the fulfillment of God's purpose revealed in those dreams. But understand this as well. Joseph's dreams weren't just prophetic. They were pertinent. Joseph's dreams, they weren't just showing the future. They were supplying Joseph for the present. Joseph would need the purposes of God to get through the land of affliction. And the same is true for us. We know enough about the future to give us hope in the land of affliction. We don't have any dreams to go off of, but God has given us his hope through his word. We need the purposes of God to get us through the land of affliction. And we have hope. And we have, and God has revealed his glorious end. God has revealed his glorious end for his children. And it's because of his son Jesus, who suffered the worst at the hands of sinful men yet was exalted to a position higher than any man. So that those who place their faith in Jesus have the promise that if we die with him, we will also live with him. We will reign with him. We will be glorified with him. God has given us his ultimate purpose for us. Joseph's suffering and his exaltation will save, as we'll see in a few weeks, Joseph's suffering and exaltation will save his earthly family from an earthly famine earthly family from an earthly famine. But Jesus' suffering and Jesus' exaltation provides salvation from spiritual death. That all, that comes to all of us because of our sin. God's not asking you to place your faith in Joseph this morning. He's asking you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. God has purposed that all who place their faith in Jesus will be glorified with Jesus in heaven. That's the purpose, right? That's the purposes of God for your life if you're a follower of Jesus. That's the purpose. But until then, we live in the land of affliction. And we will need the purposes of God, that future glory, to get us through the land of affliction. Here's another thing to understand as we think through this series. And it's kind of maybe just narrowing down what we just mentioned But it's this, God has shown his children how it's all going to end. That's heaven. But he doesn't always reveal what we'll have to go through to get there. But we know this. God is in control and he is with us. Now think about that. God has shown his children how it's all going to end. And no, it's not going to end with you ruling over Egypt. Something far greater than that. God has shown you how it's all going to end for you, follower of Jesus, and it's heaven. But he doesn't always reveal what you're going to have to go through to get there. 
So we rest in this, that God is in control and that God is with us. It would have been impossible at this point in the story, through these first 11 verses, for Joseph to realize that the purposes of God would go far deeper than Joseph simply being the exalted above the family. He had no idea the road that would lead him to where he was destined by God to go. And we share that with Joseph. We share that with him. We have no idea what we're going to have to go through to get to that place where God ultimately has purpose for us. In a verse uh, that that shares how we live a Joseph-type life with a God we can't be separated from, it's uh, it's Romans 8, 14-17, where it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so that's, that's, that's us living the Joseph-type life. We've been given the future secure. We know where we're heading, but we don't know what it's going to be like until then. But we, we, we do know it's going to be in the land of affliction. There's another verse, Romans 8.35, that talks about this very same thing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Which, by the way, pretty much describes Joseph's life. Joseph experienced pretty much all of these. He was stripped of his clothes. He was thrown into a pit where later in the book, uh, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the story of Joseph, it's going to talk about his brothers are going to recall how he cried out in distress. And they saw the distress of his soul. Joseph faced all these. He got it all. But the point for now is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's never a point in your life the love of Christ is lessened, absent, or separated from you. Never. Not in your sin, not in the land of affliction. God has shown us how it's all going to end. But it doesn't always reveal what we'll go through to get there. We know this, God is in control And God is with us. Just the other day, I walked into a a local establishment and asked the worker there how things were going. And the reply I got was, I'm living the dream. And that's a phrase we throw out a lot or we hear a lot. I'm living the dream. And if you're not living the dream, most people are striving after the dream. Well, Joseph was living the dream. And he was living the dream in this life with all the comforts and all the goodness and all the greatness that it could offer by being this favored child. But as we'll see as this story unfolds, living the dream is going to take on a whole new meaning. For you and me, when the purposes of God are more important than living the dream, here's what will happen in the land of affliction. You'll be able to say, like David said in Psalm 63, or like Joseph shows as he went through the land of affliction, if you, if God's purposes are more important than living the dream, we'll be able to say with David in Psalm 63, Lord, my soul follows close behind you. Can you say that? Lord, my soul follows close behind you. As you take me to that ultimate purpose of being glorified in heaven for all eternity. And even though now I go through the land of affliction, Lord, 
my soul follows close behind you. We're going to need the purposes of God to get through the land of affliction. And as we'll see, Joseph is going to need them too. And at every turn, Joseph is going to show us what it looks like to live a life according to the purposes of God as we go through the land of affliction. Let's pray. Father, just a small bite off a huge story. Lord, I pray this morning that you would allow your purposes to get us through the land of affliction. Maybe, maybe it's parents in here, and maybe, maybe they, their family is the land of affliction. Maybe it's just parents trying to make sense of what to do. Maybe there's an easy child and a problem child, and, and they, just, they, they know they, they're leaning towards the one. They, they, they feel the heart of favoritism, or they, they feel the family breaking apart. God, I pray that they would find their identity in you, I pray that we would find our identity in you as parents and that we would be exemplifying our heavenly father, even though we carry a lot of the same stuff as our parents passed on to us, same sins, and we even add some new ones and our kids pick those up. Father, I pray that as we go through the land of affliction, and maybe affliction is a health issue, again, family issues, financial issues, or maybe just being persecuted, people not liking them because they follow Jesus, whatever it might be, I pray, God, that you would use the pur- your purposes, your eternal purposes for our glorification to give us hope in this land of affliction. Bless as we go through this series through the life of Joseph. In Jesus' name, amen.